Welcome to One Interview, One World. This is Lainey Kay, and this is a show about interviewing people from all walks of life because everyone has a story to share and we can all learn from each other. I hope you enjoy listening. I think I'm going to do daycare in my home for now. You know, I'm going to be open for anybody who wants to drop off their kids. I just said it. I mean, now I would think 50,000 times every which way but Sunday, is this a good idea? Then I just did it. And that's what I want to get back to. That feeling just just do it. But back make then. The, make the choice instead of thinking yeah, about it. Thinking it's so true, you just talk yeah, yourself out of it. I, I agree. Actually, um, to anyone who's actually listening out there, um, this is what I've been doing is that I've been saying to myself, look at the people who've actually made it in the world. And a lot of them only started after they retired. Grandma Moses started painting when she was 65. No one knew who she was. But she left a legacy of great paintings, Americana. Uh, Julia Child only started cooking when she was like 55. And look what legend she, like, if she thought, oh, I'm 55, uh, I can't do this. Which, and she ended up having a baking show, cookbooks with her name on all over the place, and legends of um, chefs that became chefs because of her. Yeah. And what if she thought, I'm 55, this is stupid, I'm not going to do this. No. And I don't think she even cooked before that. Right. She, she had a You're full-time right. job before her, that. Her she went, she really, went to cook. Her yeah. stories are really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm telling other people their life. But I thought, you know what? It's true. A lot of people didn't start doing their thing they're known for mm-hmm. until they were older, mm-hmm. in their 60s, or maybe later. So I thought, yeah, that's true. You just got to keep going. Today I'm with Janine, and Janine is going to share with us about her life, her perspectives, how she grew up. She did have a business for quite a while, and now she's looking at what am I going to do with my life now. I'm still young. I can still do things, so that will be what we end up touching on a lot. But to start out with, why don't you tell me about yourself, like a general overview. Okay. Thank you, Lainey, for giving me this opportunity uh, as I told you, I know you were laughing about it, but I absolutely love being asked questions. I don't know why, I just do. Um, okay, so I grew up, I was born in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and when I was four years old, we moved to Stratford, Connecticut. Uh, the existence that I had, and I look back on it growing up, was so ideal, so wonderful. I grew up in a nuclear family of my grandparents, my maternal grandparents, my mother and father, and two brothers and two sisters. We all grew up, I mean, we all lived in the same home that we moved into in 1957, and my father still lives there. So when I go back to Stratford to visit my father, I go back to sleep in the same bedroom that I grew up in. With, I, but I shared it then with my two sisters. Three sisters in one bedroom, small bedroom. It was 
pretty cramped when I think about it, when I look back on it. But at, when, you, when you're little, you don't look at it that way. But it was wonderful. And my mother and my grandmother shared all the household duties. My grandmother did all the cooking, and she was from Sicily. And when she um, put out one of her meals, it was like eating at the best Italian restaurant. In fact, I have never tasted Italian food as good as what she put out. And did I realize it at the time? I don't know. I was always a chubby kid, still chubby now. But I grew up on her cooking, and I always had seconds and thirds. I mean, it was so <laughs> wonderful. Um, we grew up with a, a, an extended family of a lot of Italian relatives. They were all older. They didn't drive. My father would have to go and pick them up for holidays, but they had all of their holidays at our house around a big table. Every Sunday, we had a big Italian meal. Um, you know, it, it was just a wonderful life. And my grandfather worked for a while after we moved to Stratford. He took the bus to work every day. And I remember a good memory like this is when my grandfather would go to work at 4 o'clock in the morning to get on a bus to go into work. My grandmother would get up. And I don't know why, but I had to get up with her. I'd be bleary-eyed, blurry-eyed, sitting at the kitchen table while she made him an egg and pepper sandwich on Italian bread, <laughs> stuffed in a little bag, wrapped it up with a little thermos, and he went off. And what did I do? After that, I went to bed with my grandmother in her bed. I can still remember Aww. that. And I was so close to her. I was named after her. That's where I got my name, Janine. Her name was Giovannina. How pretty. And I, I was so happy that my mother thought of that, to name me Janine after her. And I actually look a lot like her. So... Um, that's kind of nice. Um, so anyway, so it was a wonderful life. And then at, when I was, the week that I was graduating from high school, my grandfather, my mother's father, actually dropped dead at the lunch table while my grandmother had her back turned to him and he, she was making him lunch. He just had a cerebral hemorrhage and just died right at the table with his head down. And my grandmother never got over it. Aww. She lasted four more years, but she was in total grief about it. And after that, she went downhill. And she died exactly like almost four years later mm -hmm. to the day. Um, how old? But we had her for four more years. How old was your grandpa? My grandfather was younger than my grandmother because they both came from Italy as widow and widower. Their uh, first husband and wife died uh, during the Spanish flu. Oh, or the, the influenza, or, yeah. Yeah, back in, the, in Europe. <clears throat> and they both had a child, and those, their, chi their children died also. So when they both Gosh. came to America to start a new life, fueled on by other relatives who had come to America through Ellis Island, by the way, my my family came through Ellis, Ellis Island. Uh, they didn't know each other at the time. They met through what we'll call the Paisan, the family relatives, when they were in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And it was really weird because um, my father, my grandfather, probably was like I think seven, seven or eight years younger than my grandmother. But it, oh, wow. it didn't matter. Yeah. I mean, it, it, back then. Yeah. But she was, 
she um, actually had a few miscarriages, and then my mother was born when she was 40 years old. Wow. Um, my mother was so small, she fit in a shoebox. And that was their when incubator. She was yeah. She was born uh, with a midwife in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And that is the reason why my mother, being the only girl in a family of three more uh, boy cousins who were older than her, they all had difficulty having kids. They all worked hard. And it was very really hard for them to have children back then. So there was three boy cousins and my mother, the baby. And she was spoiled rotten. <laughs> Even in the middle of the depression, she had the best coat in the winter and the nicest little pair of shoes and all that. So she was spoiled, my mother. Very spoiled. But, um, yeah, the the whole thing about the close-knit Italian family that I grew up in made it very difficult for people to realize that when I got to be a certain age, and even though I had two wonderful jobs entrenched in my town of Stratford, Connecticut, how I could meet somebody and then fall in love and decide to move away to California. Yeah. No one could really believe it or that I would actually do it because I really was a hometown girl. I um, went through the Stratford school system. I went to the University of Connecticut. I, from the first day of kindergarten, came home and said, I want to be a kindergarten teacher. And I never veered from that. I mean, I might have said I want to be a teacher, not a kindergarten teacher, but I said I want to be a teacher. And if anybody ever asked me if I was 6, 7, 8, 10, 12, I want to be a teacher. And everything I did was to get to that point. Mm -hmm. So I got good grades in school. Uh, In high school, I became president of the Future Teachers Club of America. And I was an usher in the Ushers Guild, which was an um, honor society. You had to have good grades for that. Everything I did was to the point of becoming a teacher. And um, I had my heart set right up until the last minute of going to Southern Connecticut State Teachers College. And then my dad said, don't you want to go see my alumni? Where I went to school, I go, wait, wait, wait. He never really talked about it. I went to the University of Connecticut at the Storrs campus which was outside of Hartford, Connecticut. And so I said, well, you want me, I'll go see it with you if you want to drive me there. So we went to see the campus and I fell in love with this beautiful campus. Back then, it was so, uh, we'll call it in the boondocks because you got off of the uh, turnpike. That's what they call the freeway back in Connecticut. You get off the turnpike, go down a country road for miles. And then all of a sudden, this campus just enfolded before you. Green hills, rolling hills. It was gorgeous. Uh, now I've heard, and in fact, I might go back um, in the spring, May, possibly if I go back to visit my dad. But they said that the campus is now congested with buildings and things. But back then, it was rolling hills and open country roads. It was so nice. Yeah. But um, at the last minute, I changed my mind. I applied to um, the Southern Connecticut State Teachers College. And then I applied to University of Connecticut. And, of course, I got into both. And I decided to go with University of Connecticut. Now, why I'm saying this is because when you make a decision, you really don't know how far flung that decision 
is going to have an effect on your life. Mm-hmm. Because what happened was, if I hadn't gone to the University of Connecticut, if I hadn't met my college roommate, who was also Italian, and our families got along beautifully, and so we were roommates for four years, if my roommate hadn't met her future husband, then I wouldn't have met my future husband, who was best friends with her future husband. <laughs> and that is how I met my husband, who, when I met him in 1978, after wedding, when I was their maid of honor and he was the best man, strangely enough, he already had moved to California and had already been living there for four years and was already oh entrenched goodness. in having a pretty great job and new friends and um, he didn't say to me at that point, well, if you're going to get involved with me, you're going to have to move to California. But just the fact that he was from California just made him a no-go with me when I first met him in, 19, in, the, in June of 1978. We exchanged the little phone numbers and things because when we were at the wedding of my friends, he had said, well, you know, if you're ever in... California, look me up, whatever. But, you know, that didn't really mean much to me. And then at the wedding itself, all the little Italian grandmothers were saying, that guy, I think he really likes you. And he's like, follow you around. He's dancing with you. You should, like, look into it. I go, he's in California. I'm a teacher here in Stratford. It's never going to happen. But things happened. I was, at that time, thinking about someone else. He was thinking about somebody else. And flash forward to 1979, Thanksgiving, this is about like a year and a few months later, year and a half later, uh, my girlfriend called me up and she said, oh, Gene is coming to visit his family for Thanksgiving. We'd like to have our maid of honor and best man over for dinner. (laughs) Um, He lived in North Haven. I lived in Stratford. If you understand the 95 Turnpike, he'd have to go by my house to get to their house which was in Darien, all along the um, I, uh, the 95 Turnpike. So she said, Jean's going to pick you up on the way to our house. So I said, uh, okay, fine. <laughs> so, you know, he came in at that point, a year and a half after I had first met him, and he was super suave and, you know, and very sweet to my parents and just very polite and all this. And we... Talked all the way in the car, getting to their house, never stopped talking. Nothing was awkward. It was very nice. And one thing led to another, and he said that little statement to me um, about, you know, if I wanted to get serious about him or whatever, I'd have to think that I would be moving to California and that he would not be coming back to Connecticut if it was going to work. So that I had to get into my head first. And... About five months into us writing to each other and calling each other, maybe May or June of 1980 now, I realized, just like driving to work one day, I was like, you know what? I will always have my family, because I know I'll keep in touch with my family. If I move away, that's not going to be an issue. But finding a nice guy to settle down with, that's a big deal. And if I'm getting along so good with this one, he calls when he says he's going to call. You know, <laughs> he's doing the right things, always polite to my family. And 
you know, sends me little gifts, does little gestures. I go, you know what? I'm going to proceed with this relationship and see where it goes. So I had to say it to myself first before I could actually, you know, decide I'm going to do this. That's so huge. It is. It was, it was a decision. It was for me. I mean, really, if there was any girl who would never leave town, it would be entrenched in that town of Stratford, Connecticut. It would be me. I mean, nobody would put money on that bet because I wouldn't be going anywhere. I had a job as a teacher, a tenured job teaching. I could have taught in that school until I retired. Wow. Because after a few years, I got tenure at the school right down the street from where my parents lived. <laughs> yeah. How perfect. If I had kids and had gotten married to someone in town, they go right to my mother's house, I drop them off, and I go to work. I could have had that job until I retired. And actually, later on, years later, I actually met the woman who replaced me. And that was kind of fun. I think God wanted me to see that full cycle and what it would have happened if I had stayed or whatever. Yeah. But, um... Well, let me stop you really quick. Yeah. So when you were growing up, did a lot of people go off to college or was that more rare for women back then to go to college? I would say that I know for myself, when I look back on it, when I went off to college, I know that there was a considerable amount of the people that I was friends with who did go off to college. Mm-hmm. Different, I mean, they didn't go far. They went to something maybe in Connecticut. Uh, there were different options. But my best friend was a year younger than me. We met in summer school. And she was a junior. I was a senior. So I never thought about what would happen to her until years later. Like, I left. Where, what would she do? She, I was her best friend. So she ended up becoming friends with my sister, who was two years younger than me, and my sister's friends. It's kind of strange, like, that'll happen. Um, and they actually were, were still friends to this day, but um, I'll get into that in a second. College was a big deal back then. It's still a big deal. But it wasn't the crazy competitive thing it is now with parents worrying about SATs and I mean it was back then it was just things you just did um I had a great high school guidance counselor Mr. Petroy and actually when I started teaching I ended up on his bowling team <laughs> which was so fun to be on my guidance counselors because I you know I ended up teaching in the same town that I grew up in and seeing these same people, you know, but now I was on the other side. Now I was one of them. I was a peer. And he always gave me good, good guidance because I was a procrastinator. And he'd say, you better get that thing in. Do that thing. Try to get that scholarship. Try to get. So he was he was big on that because he knew I would procrastinate. And he was keeping me on my, on my toes there. But, um, yeah, so college was a big deal. But not like it is now. But I wonder so competitive what- and crazy. What percentage do you think in college were women compared to men when you were in college? I would say probably maybe 40, 60. Okay. I mean, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty good. It was was a good percentage, you know, and the dorm that I actually started uh, living in at um, school, when we, we got the packet of information about everything, how to get to the first day of school and all that. My dorm wasn't on the map. It was Hale Hall. It was, I go, it's not on the map. 
And so we call the school. We go, our school. I, oh, that's because you have a brand new building. We just built it. It was so new that they hadn't even installed the bathrooms yet. Oh, my God. The toilets were there, but not the doors on the toilet. We had to use ironing board covers. How funny. Yeah, it was, it was brand new. They just got it done by the skin of their teeth. So for the first couple of weeks, we had to put an ironing board cover in front of the toilet stall, where the stall would be, the, the my iron doors, uh, to go to the bathroom. It was crazy. But they built two buildings up on a hill behind the football stadium, Hale Hall and Ellsworth Hall. And my roommate's future husband was an RA in the Ellsworth Hall next door, and that's what, how they met at the cafeteria. But um, my husband was on campus with me the same time I was there. I never laid eyes on him. And that's another cruel trick that God <laughs> played, is that we were there for three years on the same campus. Wow. And, um, oh, no, I'm sorry. He was a transfer student. I'm sorry. He was a transfer student. So he was there one year that I was there. That's right. Because he came as a junior and I was a freshman, then he was, a, then he became a senior, and then he graduated, and I was still there two more years. So we just never laid eyes on each other at the campus. But um, yeah, he graduated from UConn just like I did. But yeah, there was there was quite a few women on the campus <coughs> at that time. It was 1971. Okay. Well, what what kind of career choices did you think were open to women at that time? Like when you were going to college. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, of course, I did the um, liberal arts program for two years before I transferred to the School of Education. But at the time, I'll tell you what the girls in my dorm were doing. They were into teaching, education. They were into pharmacy, big time. Oh, wow. My roommate herself was a physical therapist. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say there were any real doctor candidates in my in our building that I knew of. Nobody was going for doctor, but it was fringe things around uh, medical care. Mm-hmm. It was like I said, nursing, mm-hmm. pharmacy, uh, physical therapist, um, teaching. Uh, what was the, the? I can't think of the name of the person who did. Um, Checking the the blood work, yeah, not pharmacist, but um, medtech or something, or, or, or medtech, like uh, the person who, who did the um, draws the blood, yeah, yeah, and studied blood samples okay. and that kind of samples. That was another big thing. Hmm. Um, yeah, so it was those kind of jobs. I, I I didn't know anybody that was a philosophy major or you know, but I'm sure they were in there. I didn't really know anybody that was a history major, but these girls were into history and um, um, math. There was one girl that was a math whiz. Um, and I never really followed through to find out what they actually did, but I'm sure they all got good jobs, you know, in their fields at the time. And of course, with me, when it came to doing my student teaching, I got to go to a, what we'll have to call a school that was in a ghetto district in Hartford, Connecticut. So it was all black children. Um, the teacher was a Hispanic male, who was my um, head teacher. And 
they were doing all of the new things of open education. The pendulum swings one way or the other with education. And at that time, it was going open ed, different ways of thinking about reading and different things. And they were using the school as a uh, testing thing. They, they run a lot of people, students from different schools nearby. But I loved those kids. It was so much fun. And it actually, when it came time for the town to get a teacher for a school that was predominantly, I'd say, maybe 30% Caucasian, 30% Hispanic, 30% Black children. Um, that was a big credit to me to have been in the Hartford Schools District. So when they were looking for a kindergarten teacher, and I had a degree in early childhood education, I was chosen. Pretty much hands down, they go, you were like the only candidate that actually fit the bill. So I got a job in 1977 when there were no teaching jobs. It was a fluke that I got it. So I felt very blessed. I never stopped working. From the time I got out of school, I taught for a year in a preschool in someone's home. Basically, for $3.50 an hour, wow. the lady worked me to death <laughs> because she knew she had gold on her hands. Oh, I've got a girl. In fact, you put an article in the local paper that I was starting to work for her in her in-home her, in her in preschool, in wow. her house. And every day I'd drive to work and um, come home so tired I could barely break the car when I had to break at a stoplight. Oh, that's oh, not yeah. good. Because, yeah, the woman, I didn't realize it at the time, but she'd greet all the parents in the morning and she'd go upstairs. <gasps> and she'd leave me. That's awful. And then she got this, her daughter, who was newly divorced and good for nothing, because she was in a trance being newly divorced. Yeah. Um, she was pretty much good for nothing. But I had all my creative ideas. I made bulletin boards like crazy. That was my thing. I loved doing bulletin boards and stuff. So she basically, for a year, she had me. And I said, one year, this was like, okay. I did a huge bicentennial program for all of her students, and all the parents came. We all dressed up in colonial costumes, because, you know, back there, it was a big thing, being the Northeast and colonial people and all that. So the bicentennial was huge back there. Mm-hmm. Um it was crazy. So I did a big thing. I, I saw my costume I made. A little red, white gingham with a little hat. And I believe that was in the newspaper, too. She put us in the newspaper. I remember the picture of us um, with all the children in their little costumes. Little tri-cornered hats and the little girls with their little bonnets on. Um, one year, almost to the day, I quit. And I said, what am I going to do now? So I nobody was looking for teachers yet or anything. So I found it through the grapevine that at my Catholic church that I attended in Bridgeport called Holy Rosary, they had a school and it had been plugging along, you know, um, as Catholic schools will. I mean, they're always looking for money and teachers pay is nothing. But if you want to work there, you know, whatever. So I found out they're looking for a kindergarten teacher at the, mm-hmm. at the, at the parochial school. I went, kindergarten oh i'll have my own kindergarten class oh my god this is so exciting so i said i'm gonna go for it you know so i quit that job it sounded right go to the teacher get your own kindergarten class in a a school the class was small 
the class itself, I'm talking about the uh, square footage of the room was small, okay. but it was it was cute. I had my little bulletin board to decorate. I had like maybe 15 kids in my class, and I was thrilled. Right. So at the holidays, at Christmas time, I get a call from the board of education that their um, one of their schools, Eli Whitney School had too many kids for the teacher. She was overflowing with kids. And if they got to a point, they'd have to split the class. It had to be like 36 kids or something back then. And if she got to the 36 kid, 36th child, she, they had to split it into like 17 and, and 16 or whatever, or, uh, 17 and 18. So they said you'd have one classroom in the basement of the school. It's a little <laughs> basement room kind of. You have it, but it was, it was nice. It was, it was, it was a classroom, mm-hmm. but they said, we're going to make it for you. And we need one teacher to go from January until June. That's your foot in the door, basically. Yeah. So we're going to interview people. And we're gonna, so I went to the interview and they said, oh, so you've got, um, you have your uh, degree, early childhood education. So that's basically primary, you know, primary grade. Age, I said yes and all that. I I did the right answer the right question. Anyways, I got that job, and for the next two years, they split me between two schools, morning and afternoon, like across town from each other. But that's how I earned my I paid my dues to get into a classroom of my own. Yeah, Um, it was crazy. I never had a lunch break because I had to drive to the other school across town. And I'd have that, so I had to set up two classrooms. Wow. And for those two years. But I met a lot of faculty. I met a lot of people being at five schools in two years. So a lot of people knew me, but, mm-hmm. you know. And um, I, when they gave me my, the school that I could have stayed at for the rest of my life, Honey Spot School, which was right by my house, I wondered, do they know that my parents live or still live on Sedgwick Avenue, which is, I could walk there, but... I don't even know if they even knew that, that I still lived there. But they gave me a school that was like right in my school district. I went to Birdsey School, which is here, and Honeyspot School was here, so it was just like three blocks away. Anyway, so that was awesome. Right. And then I had to go meet Jean. <laughs> so, yeah. So when you came here to California, what happened? I didn't want to know anybody. I didn't want anybody to know me. I wanted to stay totally anonymous. I wanted to be in a place where nobody knew me when I walked down the street because everybody knew me in my town. Oh, yeah. I wanted to be totally anonymous, and I never even thought about teaching. Oh, really? I wanted to just relax, and I mean, I had been working steady in many different jobs for, um, you know, a while, and, mm-hmm. I, and I just wanted, yeah. I was 29 years old, and I just wanted to be. Yeah. And yeah, and Gene gave me the luxury. So I was like, yeah, just, just get it. He was just so happy to have me with him, you know. So he's like, just do what you want to do. You don't have to look. You got a job. Just, you know, hang out. Just, you know, learn the ropes of like being in, we were in Long Beach, California. So I went from Stratford, Connecticut to Long Beach. In between, there was a nice little honeymoon in New Orleans. <laughs> but um, yeah, so all of his friends welcomed me with open arms. I inherited all of his friends. Yeah. So, yeah. That's so neat. Yeah. 
Okay, so then you 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 did you work at all as a teacher when you for no 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 okay I didn't want to know anything about teaching or anything I never my mind never even went there wow I just didn't like I had to get a California credential or what no I, I my mind didn't go there but it was um, after the holidays our first holiday together in California and. Um, Back in the 1982, going into 1983, that, that uh, spring, Long Beach real estate was at a boon. Everything was on fire. And my husband had a friend who had a loan agency. Uh, we met him at a party. He was like, oh, everything's gangbusters. He goes, but I just can't find anybody to answer my phones. I need a receptionist. Our receptionist uh, hangs up on people. She's still rude. It's terrible. She just... That's my biggest problem right now is who's going to answer the 300 calls they get a day oh for loans. Wow. It was crazy. And so, you know, my husband's like, well, I know Jeannie could do it. And he goes, she doesn't have a job. Maybe she needs a job. Or, you know, you want to try her out or whatever. And I was like, I didn't even say anything. But I said, you know, I probably could use some money now to do stuff with. You know, I actually had been. A little bit tired of asking my husband for some spending money or whatever. And usually I had my own money. I never had to ask anybody for anything. But now, I, you know, I thought, you know, I guess I could do it. So he said, just come in and try it. You've got to answer the phone. Back then they had those pads with this, the... Um, oh, to write the messages? Yeah, the memo pad. Yeah. They had the thing on the ink on the bottom that ran through so you could get the double message. Mm-hmm. So you'd have a copy and then they'd get... And there were like 10, 10 loan officers in the office. And everybody had to get their messages. So, you know, I said, well, all right, let me try it, you know. So I'd answer the phone, and I'd be, hello. It was, it was, oh, I won't say the name, but it was a a loan office in uh, Long Beach. And so I'd say the name very politely, and I might have to put them on hold for a second, but I didn't leave them. I'd get back to them right away. This other girl, apparently, they waited so long to get, they hung up, Uh. and they complained about it. Or she just didn't answer the phone at all. It was, so I'd be like, you know. And so this guy's watching. He goes, she's fantastic. No one's been left in hold. She's got all the messages passed out by lunch. And I keep interval passing out all these messages to people. And everybody was happy with me. So they said, okay. So my little trial week or whatever turned into a year of working there. Mm-hmm. Now, the crazy thing was. During that year, we moved to Orange County oh, to wow. Lake Forest. So it became an hour commute. What was a 10-minute commute living in Long Beach to get into this office? Five or six months down the road. Actually, no, it was six months because I remember we moved, in, we moved in October. So, yeah, it's been about from March to October. And then another year, uh, another six months more that I worked there. But it was an hour drive there. It was an hour or more coming home. And it was crazy. And I thought, well, I can't do this forever. But I did it for a year. Mm -hmm. And the weird thing is that the boon died. Mm -hmm. By the time I left, the phone was barely ringing at all. Oh, wow. So I have, I still have, sometimes when I go through my recipes, papers that have the loan trust name at the top of it. Well, I was just copying recipes out of cookbooks yeah. because there was nothing to do. And not funny. And these kids would do, they would bring a, you want to, I'll bring you a cookbook for you to look at. Or I bring a book in to read. Yeah. And it was during that time that uh, a book called, it came out called, um, Color Me Beautiful. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget it. 
Because I'm sitting in the office and I'm reading this new book I got. Color Me Beautiful, right? And it was weird because I thought since I was born in the fall, September, my birthday is, I thought I was a fall. I mean, it's like fall colors because you're born in the fall. Wrong, 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 right? So the epiphany I had, the moment I found out I'm a winter, I thought like the whole world was going to explode. <laughs> Does because, this mean the colors that go with your skin? Yes. Okay. And your hair and your eyes and all that. <clears throat> so my whole wedding, I planned it as a fall. Mm-hmm. I wore all the wrong colors. My bridesmaids were all the wrong colors. Because <laughs> I got married in September. Yeah. I was born in September. In fact, I got married um, 10 days after my 29th birthday. So um, my bride dress wasn't really white, but it was a very like a cream white. Very pretty. I, I saw this dress. They always say it's going to be like one of the first dresses you try on. It was the second dress I tried on. Hmm. And it was just, it was not white. It was like a crew, you know, like cream. But I thought, yeah, that's my color. It's fall. And all my bridesmaids were in rust, like an orangey. Um, we mm-hmm. took pictures at a park and everything was fall leaves. And I go, huh. and I had my poor husband dressed in brown and all of his friends. And he's still <laughs> mad about that. But that was, <laughs> that was kind of the style probably at that point. I know. That's but funny. he's still mad at me about that. He goes, why did you make him wear brown? Because he he's a winter too. So anyways, I'm reading this thing going, okay, so if you have... Dark brown hair, brown eyes, um, like European skin, like sallow skin, you know, c- coming from that um, ethnic group, whatever. You are a winter. <laughs> That's funny. I was like, well, I mean, I think I actually let out a scream where I was working. I was like, so it was crazy. So, yeah, so it got to be at the end that the phone wasn't ringing at all. So I thought, mm, this is getting really boring. So I want to do something else. Yeah. And so... In between all that, because I am one of these people who cannot stay at the bottom. Mm-hmm. I, my, I like cream. I keep rising to the top kind of thing. It's like my whole life. Can't just stay down there, you know. So um, I was reading the paper in Long Beach in um, that fall when I was working at the loan agency. Read their paper and it said, are you looking to make extra money? A new toy company is starting from Australia called Learner's World. And you could be one of our new, but get on the bottom floor of a brand new company that'll be selling toys directly to consumers, blah, blah, blah. If you want to know more about this, meet with this woman at the Long Beach Library. So I say, I have nothing to lose. Okay, I'll go and listen. I go, I listen, I sign up. I become one of their... Um, like managers, one of the reps, I became the right hand to the president as I'm still working at loan agency and transitioning. And right when I quit, he gave me a reason to quit the man, the president mm-hmm. of the company. He was working with a publisher in Los Angeles, Price Stern and Sloan. They were coming up with pop-up books and a lot of kids books and different things. And all the toys were coming from Australia. They were all wooden toys. And I don't, you probably heard of Discovery Toys. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they were, they were our competition and they were just starting up too. So I, I, I was wonderful. I was, I was, um, working for the loan agency. Things were happening, but the other place, I became their top salesperson in the country. And 
I loved toys and I could push them because I was a teacher and I could say the value of this toy. Mm-hmm. So I could back it up. I could say all these things about it. And I was good at it. So I got people working under me. It was great. And the president would have me come and look at things and, and get my advice. I would go to Los Angeles for meetings. And he said, you know, you quit that job. I'll pay you a salary to work for me. So he paid me like a stipend kind of thing. And yeah. To replace my salary. It was great. And it, it, it went for um, a year or two. But it all fell apart when things went wrong. And I won't, I won't say everything that went wrong. But it went downhill fast. And um, nobody told me. <laughs> it was crazy. I had had my first son in April of 1985. I was doing the learner's role. I thought it was going great. I was doing parties and people were coming in under me. Um, but I still needed to do something else. So I started my daycare in my home because my husband um, had been laid off and I wanted to eat. So I said, maybe I can do something, uh, start a daycare or something in my home because I love kids and that kept coming into my mind like working with kids I had a son so I can't go anywhere and I thought I don't want to send him someplace else so I put my feelers out and I interviewed with a woman who was starting a like a baby daycare like an infant daycare for infants in Mission Viejo and she interviewed me and she said you're perfect I just have to get zoning for I, I um she wanted to do it like in a strip mall you know in a building in a strip mall and she was, it was hard to get zoning for wow. it. So she did get it eventually, but I couldn't wait that long. It was like six months down the road. So I said, you know, wait, instead of waiting for that, maybe I'll do my own thing in my home, to, you know, in the meantime. So I was in a mom's club. Why was I in a mom's club? So people would want to do toy parties and hire me because they knew me. So I infiltrated into the mommy and me club. club. And it was good. I would get parties from them and their friends. And one day at a birthday party in January, I, I just throw it out. I said, you know what, girls, I think I'm going to do daycare in my home for now. You know, I'm going to be open for anybody who wants to drop off their kids. I just said it. I mean, now I would think 50,000 times every which way but Sunday, is this a good idea? Then I just did it. And that's what I want to get back to. That feeling just just do it. But back make, then. Make the choice instead of. Thinking yeah. about it. Thinking it's so through, you just talk yeah. yourself out of it. I, I agree. So I get a call on Monday from Susie, uh, one of the moms of the group. And all our kids were like the same age. They're all turning one or, or one. And she goes, you know what? I talked to uh, two people that I work with and we need someone to watch our kids. Can we come over? So I said, okay. It was that Monday. It was two days after I announced it. <laughs> So they didn't give me a chance to think about it or even back out. And I said, all right. So I told them, and I, my fee was way too low, but you know, it was back then. I didn't know what to charge or anything. I didn't know anything. I was a teacher. I didn't talk about money. People came to my classroom and that was it. I got who I got. This was, I could decide all that. So they came and they said, can we start this week? I mean, they started that week. Wow. So my daycare started on January 26th, 19. 19- 86. Now, how does she remember this? You're going to ask. Because it was the day of the 
Challenger Disaster. Oh, wow. When Krista McAuliffe died、mm-hmm. in that terrible explosion,、mm-hmm. the first teacher to go into space, she had won a contest. I believe she was from Maine or whatever, and I was so excited for her. And I'm watching it on TV with these new kids in my house and my son, and what the whole thing, the rest of the world exploded. It was so sad. And that's why I can remember the exact date. People go, How do you remember the date? I go, Because this happened. So, yeah. yeah. So, I did daycare in my home, no matter what happened to me, what was going on in the world, for 32 years. Man. Yeah, it was crazy. And if, you know, I just wish I could go back to that just fearless, just do it attitude、mm-hmm. and, and be, you know, everything be damned. Details be damned.、Mm-hmm. I'm just going to do this and fuddle through it and muddle through it. Yeah. But I, I think that's such a good life lesson to teach people. Yeah. Make the choice. Then if you have to make a different choice because, you know, there's some consequences that come with that, that's fine. Work through it, you know, instead of like, I can be like that too. Like, research something way too much. And it's like, just jump in. Just jump in and learn as you go. There was no second guessing. And boy, did I make mistakes.、Mm-hmm. Yikes. I made a ton of mistakes. Right. So, the, one of the girls who originally came with me, she didn't pay me. <gasps> she didn't pay me. Wow. I don't know what she was thinking, but week one went by. The other two people paid me what I wanted. And it wasn't much, trust me, back then. Two weeks go by.、Mm-hmm. Three weeks go by. I don't know what you was thinking. Oh, your kid's so cute. I'm just going to watch her because <laughs> I just love looking at that smile. <laughs> I don't know. But this was the biggest, hardest lesson I had learned because I said, no one is going to give you the money you want unless you ask for it because you don't know how to ask for it.、Mm-hmm. It was so hard. My stomach would be churning. I'd be so upset. All day, even talk to this parent because you wouldn't talk to them at the beginning of the day, they just drop off the kid. The end of the day, you know, conversation. That's tough, huh? So I said, to her, I go, I'm sorry if you don't pay me for these last three weeks, please don't bring your daughter back on Monday. So、oh, she、yeah. didn't bring her back. That's、uh, <laughs> what you had to do. And, and I had to do it, you know, and it was just crazy. So then, you know, little by little, word of mouth, I didn't advertise, people came. Had kids for 32 years, you know. Some days, I mean, there were years when it was always 12 kids, and then the recession came and it was hard, but you know, that's how it was for everybody. It was hard after 2008, so it was, I went down to like six kids then.、Mm-hmm. Um, also, all the rules changed about your helpers and paying them、uh, health insurance and crazy things like that with Obamacare and all that. So I just said, I'll just do it myself. Or if my daughter wanted to work with me a little bit when she wasn't in school,、mm-hmm. they gave me a little break. But、um, I'll never forget when I was one of these lessons I had to learn. It was so hard every time it had to do with money. Every time it was stomach churning, you know, sweating bullets trying to wait till this parent to come. I mean, so tied up in knots and just, I go, this is crazy.、Um, this woman started doing this thing where she left her kid with me, so I had to feed him dinner. I'll never forget. It was my older son's like, best friend. I think his name was Mitchell. And the funny thing was, I would look at her into her car when they were leaving, and she'd have Target bags, dry cleaning, grocery bags. I was like, 
what is going on here? I want the kids picked up. At that time, I said 5.30. This lady wasn't coming till 6.30. So, of course, we were eating. I fed her son. So, I said, okay, enough is enough. Right. I am going to have to say something. Yeah. So, I gathered all my strength. I said, I'm sorry, but I don't. Look, we love your son and all this stuff, but it's not fair to have to let me feed him dinner and you're not, you're not paying me extra or anything. Everybody else is picking up on time. So I said, starting tomorrow, you've got to pay if you're going to leave him later than everybody else. And I'm feeding him dinner and all that. She never came back. <laughs> Isn't that sad? It is. It was so sad because that was my son's best right. friend. Yeah. At they just, that when point. they get called out on it, they just don't want to do it, what was right. It was crazy. So I lesson learned again. Yeah. And after that, I started getting tired. I was like, okay, that's it. Yeah. You tell these people and then they don't show up again? I go, you know what? You get them before them, they walk in. So I started doing contracts. Okay. I had the best little damn contract <laughs> with every loophole I could think of. Uh-huh. I pretty much covered it all. Yeah. Sick days, late days, late payments, uh, everything mm-hmm. was on the contract. And... I swear by the contract. I go, get them when they're coming in. Okay. And that was the beginning of me having contracts. And that was probably two years, two years, three years into it. Okay. That I said, I'm going to make a contract. Mm-hmm. And I, no one told me to do this. I said, I've got to do this. And it made people realize the rules and made them accountable. And yeah. So if, can... if they were going to screw up, I was going to get that dollar or whatever from them right from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Listen, if stands or butts about it. Because I said, obviously... They're going to get away with as much as they can. And yeah. shame on me for letting them. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to do something. And so, yeah, I got them right when they came in. I, I even put in a two-week notice. Mm-hmm. Pay me up front right now for those two weeks when you forget to tell me that you're going to leave. I mean, I, I thought of it all. So that made me feel good. And those churny, stomachy things. Right. Got to be, you know, if I ever had to kick someone out of my daycare, it's because the parent was the big bratty baby. Yeah. Bad parents. Mm-hmm. Not the kids in general, just bad parenting. And I thought, you know, I can't do anything with this. I mean, if they're not going to help me with this kid, then it's, it's not the child's fault. It's the parent's fault. So mm-hmm. I had to kick out a couple of parents and yeah, they got mad and. Yeah, so it was it was a lot, but it was a learning experience, no doubt about it. Yeah, you did it for a long time. I did it for a long time, and I ended up because I'm the cream in the cup that's got to go up to the top. I ended up becoming president of the daycare association, <laughs> <laughs> a volunteer thankless job, if I must yeah. say so. Yeah, but you also had a lot of experience to share, so you probably helped many women that are doing that business. Mm-hmm. To understand what it would yes. be. Yes. That's big. Yeah. So that's good because yeah. you're giving back mm-hmm. to the community and yeah. people. Yeah. At the time, my youngest son, um, he was in junior high. And I thought, okay, it's time for me to give back. And I'll do this with these ladies and volunteer. And I ended up writing the newsletter with the newsletter editor. We put it out every month. It was crazy. I did the little editorial. And I realized I really liked writing and giving advice. So I did the arts and crafts corner. 
and I, I compared myself to the, the editor of a magazine who writes a little thing at the beginning of the magazine, like Oprah or whatever, saying a little thing about what they want you to get out of this magazine. Mm-hmm. That's what I would do for the, for the newsletter. And I did that for two, two and a half years. So yeah, it was like a little thing. Every month we put it, put it to bed, you know, the whole thing. And then we, um, I'd go to, to the, uh, let it, the newsletter editor's home and we would, Fold them and staple them and, and mail them out to people. Put the stamps on, mail them out. That was fun. So now, now that you've raised th- three kids mm-hmm. and you did your business for a long time, mm-hmm. so now you're thinking, okay, now what do I want to do? What do I want to do for me? Okay. I think. So I always said when I was in my daycare that I would be doing daycare till I was 95. It was a joke. Yeah. Because I loved it and I love kids. Yeah. It was in my home. I didn't have to go anywhere. I didn't have to go on the freeway. I didn't have to commute. You brought your kid to me. So I figured as long as I could walk and talk and smile, I could do this, right? But my mom got sick um, in 2015. And it was really weird. And I don't know why these things happen, but I had... Um, actually not going home to visit my family in Connecticut for, uh, there was a two year gap when my daughter was going to school for, um, becoming a respiratory therapist and she could not work for me. And I couldn't hire anybody else because of the Obamacare laws and things. And like, you know, like pay someone, I don't know if it was get them health insurance, whatever, but I, it's a, I just better keep it simple. I better just keep my nose to the grindstone, get through these years with just going to school, and I, you know, it'll be fine. What happened to my mom, though, in those two years was that she developed, like, a lot of symptoms that were dementia or Alzheimer's. It was never really diagnosed, but she got forgetful, and she was disoriented, um, getting harder for my father to take care of her. So... um When I went home for a month in 2016, my daughter was there with the kids. But the family that I was watching, their kids, they were like, well, we love your daughter, but she's not you. And you are probably going to be gone more. We know your mom's not feeling well. So we can see the future is that you're going to be leaving more often. So we think we're going to find another daycare. So at that point, I thought, it, it, it hit me like I wasn't ready for it. And I was actually down to three sisters in my daycare, a family, and they had three daughters. I thought, well, I could do this just like one family or, you know, whatever. But they had a one-year-old, a three-year-old, and an older girl. But I thought, this will last for a while, and if I want to pick up another kid... Well, they were like, we're going to go, and so we're going to give you two weeks' notice. So I thought, oh, okay. So the mom and dad started crying. I started crying. You know, I was like, I was sad because I thought, this is it, if this is really going to be it. And then I could really help my parents, right, whatever. So it was weird. We cried. They got to their car, and I thought, I could actually feel freedom coming, uh-huh. you know. I was like going, wait a minute. 
Are they saying that I don't have to get up five three in the morning? <laughs> I don't have to stay in my house and be held, you know, bound to the house. I can go do things. And then I was like, almost like, I'll be lying if I say I didn't do a fist bump. Wow! I was like, yes, oh my god! I mean, you know, so it's like, okay, this opens up a whole new world because at the time I was sixty three, I thought, okay, well, I mean, it's doable. People do retire. I go. I still have time to do something else, something fun or whatever I want to do. And at that point, I, don't, I haven't mentioned this yet, that in 2012, my daughter and I started our own little flea market business, like selling at flea markets. So that was an ongoing thing that was a hobby and on the weekends and that kind of thing. So um, I thought, you know, I could do this more full time. I could actually, you know, go and do this and, and um, look into uh, things to purchase and things to sell and I was like, okay. So that was October of 2016. Then flash forward to over the holidays. I, I just gave myself time to just, dec- you know, do my decorating, do the holidays, get through that. I go, okay, now here's this whole world opening up. And I started looking at the paper, just curious, looking for ads and things. Like, what can I do? Like, what do I, what looks good to me? Like, uh, so I saw that thing I said, um, we need a preschool director for a Catholic preschool in Newport Beach. So I called, I inquired, right? And I had an interview and all that. And um, the big thing that the lady said to me was, do you have these three classes you need on, what was the word she used? That you've worked with adults who are the teachers, like you're over them, like mm. an overseer over the okay. teachers. Management. So management of teachers and things like that. I, I can't the exact word right now, but someone who's like the, the yeah. mentor to the teachers or whatever, and it was three classes I needed. So I said, I don't have that. I said, but have I had people work for me who are adults? Yes. I have plenty of experience like that. Yeah, but you need to have these three classes. They're... Like uh, college courses? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I said, oh, I said, well, when do you need to have the, um, when does the job start? Well, it was January. The job started in May. It was a, um, pre- the preschool director was pregnant and she was going on maternity leave, but the buzz was she wasn't coming back. Mm-hmm. They were just holding the job. They had to by law, but they said the QT is most likely she's not coming back. It's her second child. She's not coming back. So I said, okay. She was like, can you get these classes by then? And I said, oh, I don't know. So the way it was, uh, Saddleback, Coast College, um, Orange Coast College, all these, they have eight-week classes, but it was already into the eight weeks mm-hmm. when I called up and they were like looking for people. So they go, okay, well, you can't be on these eight What about the next eight weeks? So I was like, try to get into that and all that. And they said, mm. so I went to Saddleback. And I had gone to Saddleback in the 90s. I was uh, trying to become an architect or study design and all that. And I got pregnant with my third child. And I tried to continue, but with a full-time daycare with 12 kids every day, two helpers helping me, I, I I just couldn't continue at that point. But do you know that they let you continue and they keep all of your classes? You can just start back up anytime. Really? I didn't know that. No, I didn't know that. They keep either. it on file and you can continue. That's fantastic. Just, I know, it is. 
And I might still do it. I'm not saying I'm not. I'm not rule it out. That sounds good. So that, they that keep you have it on that rec- option. Yeah. yeah. So I had I was probably four courses from getting a um, two year degree. Oh, that's, that's yeah. And they said yeah. you can finish huh. doing this. That's fantastic. But I said okay. But I need to take these classes. And so I signed up for the class that I needed or start. And they were like, uh, my daughter helped me get on the, it was different, but they, they still have my same number. I got the parking pass. I got everything, right? Signed up for the class. And then I get a call from my sister and she's like, what are you doing now? I go, uh, I'm going to take a class and I'm going to try to get this job teaching in this, um, being the director of a preschool now and all this. I figured I could do that for 10 more years. Yeah. Whatever. It would be fun. And my sister's like, mommy's so bad. Mommy, she needs our help. I'm, you know, everybody was still working. I'm the oldest of five children. So everybody was still working and everybody was still busy with their families and everything. So I was like, they go, can you, we know you're not working. We know that you're retired or whatever. Can you come out and help us maybe for a month or two or whatever? So I was like, well, if you need me, I'll come. So I had to call the school. I had to, it was just crazy because I had just done everything. They go, and I go, this happened. So I said, I got to go. But it's good knowing you can continue, though, when you have the chance. So I go. And my mom was, I hadn't seen her for two years. So it was bad. It was bad. When I saw her, um, that, uh, I guess I went in, it was March. It was March. And um, I thought, all right, she, they do need me out here. My dad needs me. So, you know, I stayed for a month. But I, I, I was coming back. I like, come here for a month, go there for a month. I did that for the rest of that year. So I was there for six months in 2017. It was, it was hard. It was hard watching her go down like that. And my father coping with it, that was hard too, you know. But we, you know, um, we eventually had to put my mom in a nursing home because my dad couldn't do it by himself at night. And um, we ha- when I was there, we actually had a woman there during the day with us. She was real nice so we could get a break. My mom needed constant 24-7 care. And we had to start moving her from the second floor to the first floor of their house. So it was hard. But yeah. My mom passed away um, March 24th this, this past year. Yeah. So my dad's living alone now. Yeah, it's it's a hard situation to be in. That, because it isn't like, say, when you were growing up, they're living with the family. Yeah. But it's so hard now. Mm-hmm. And never yes. people will live in different areas. Yeah, it's a tough situation. Um, so now, what are you thinking? Because you're kind of free. So what are you thinking you want to do with your life now? Because you're, mm-hmm. you get to rethink about what are my opportunities? What would I like to do? Yes. And so you got to do something you like, basically. It's your decision. It's. You're the only one that has to answer to it. You don't have to worry about when you get to be our age. It's it's more like 
if you do something, it's not so much even for the monetary gain, but for the satisfaction of it. So it seems like I keep going back to my strengths. And one of my strengths is I like to organize things. I'm good at it. I'm good at looking at a bunch of stuff on a table. I think it comes from being a Virgo that we like order. And I could see this table. I thought, here's plants over here. These are cups over here. These are dishes. And I would just like organize and things. So I'm thinking that I might possibly consider helping people my age get rid of their clutter, their junk, the things they don't need to have around them and just be free of all the excess that they have because I'm actually doing that for myself right now. And after 32 years, I had a lot of daycare stuff. I'm still getting rid of it, but I'm discerning about how I get rid of it because it's good stuff. I'm not going to just throw it in a dumpster. No. I mean, maybe another person would, but I'm not. Mm -hmm. So um, little by little, since I closed my daycare two years ago, I've begun to get rid of stuff. I was very thorough on the research of the nonprofits in the area who have, uh, like, for homeless shelters or if you have an educational place to bring things or if it's just a food bank or if it's they want clothes or shoes or whatever. So I'm always on the lookout for who's looking for what because I've probably got it. I was the mom who always had everything my kids needed when they needed it. I didn't need to go out at 9 o'clock to, at the <laughs> drugstore to get the poster board. We've got poster board. We've got everything. Well, I think that is a good, a good point because I, I hear that you don't want to just keep dumping things into the environment, you know. Right. From, I want to recycle. Yeah. I want to upcycle. And there's always people that can use them. So it is nice that you think about that. So, um, and I love glitter. <laughs> My husband hates glitter. And so um, we've had a few arguments about the glitter and where I'm setting up and doing things. Because I, I went to this big craft thing last Easter. Pulled out a lot of stuff. And I, I said, I'm going to upcycle. So I take this thing and this thing and put them together. I made some cute things. I really did. And then um, I sell twice a year at a venue in Costa Mesa called Peacemakers. And a little promo, I will be there March 16th <laughs> in Costa Mesa at the Peacemakers selling my wares. But it's called the Peddler's Market. And I do that twice a year since 2012. I was doing it with my daughter. And, of course, she moved away to Portland, Oregon. And so um, I'm on my own. But my husband helps me set up. And I, um, it's weird because... Um, I always bring a different thing to sell. The little lady next to me, she's so sweet. She actually was from my hometown. Wow. And I, the first time I met her and we were placed next to each other, she said, you have an accent. You have a different accent. Where are you from? And I get that a lot. I go, I'm from Connecticut. She goes, well, I was born in Connecticut. And I said, um, she goes, what city? I said, Stratford. And she said, I was born in Stratford. I go, no. So we're bonded for life, you know, but we see each other at this thing twice a year. She always sells the same thing, doilies, jewelry, um, um, handkerchiefs and things. 
And I always have something different. So it's always a real thrill for her to see, like, what am I selling this time? She always gets a big thrill out of it. But it's always different, and I have so many different things to pick from. I honestly, at this point, couldn't tell you what I'm selling because I don't even know yet. <laughs> like an Is there, like, you're upcycling things and creating things? Well, so, so last Easter, I sold a lot of stuff. And, um, I mean, I made a lot of stuff to sell. And I was, like, tickled at, like, what I could come up with. You know, with just the things I have, I said, it's not fun in buying more stuff. I don't want to buy more stuff. I want to use what I've got. Mm-hmm. And that's the joy of the creativity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I do want to mention something that happened to me in college, which is a very cute story. And it really goes to the fact that be careful what you wish for. Mm-hmm. Because uh, a new thing back at UConn was, uh, in the School of Education back then, was this whole idea of creativity and the power of it. Mm-hmm. And the class I had was uh, creativity for um, nursery school, whatever. But at the beginning of the class, the teacher said, I want you to write a paper about what would be your most thrilling life, if you could have it, if it would be in this century or another century or when you would have been born or what you would have done. What kind of experience would you have wanted to live if you could have lived any other time, right? So I thought and thought and thought, and I went, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write about the fact that I would have loved to have been a school marm on the prairie, coming on a covered wagon and going across country from the Northeast oh, wow. to, to, um, <laughs> California. to California, <laughs> to, the, to the Northwest. You oh, know? my goodness. Yeah. And I said, I could see myself as a school marm because I thought I had good grit to, to go through it, to be a survivor. I'm resourceful, you know, I could bear with it. I thought I would be good at bringing inspiration and, you know, to a community that didn't have anything, you know, kind of like that. And then lo and behold, did I not do that? I was like, what? Because I thought back on it, I went, wait a minute, (laughs) this is, I'm actually doing what I wanted to do. It's like so crazy. It really was. Yeah, it really was crazy. But going back to the the this the flash forward here, that when I get something and put two things together, there's no greater feeling. I mean, and I'm so proud of the things I come up with. And people like them. I mean, seriously, I'm very good at taking a bunch of um like silk flowers that I might have bought for an art project with my daycare kids, and I found boxes of them, you know. And I made the most gorgeous Easter wreaths. And um, I made them so that I took what I had, mm-hmm. like maybe I got something at a garage sale, and then I added a bunch of flowers to it, and then put them on both sides. It became a centerpiece because I put a block on so it could stand up on its own. Oh yeah! And a lady said, "Oh my god, that's so!" I mean, you can use it on both sides of the table, and it looks good. How cute is that? So she bought it, and <laughs> I had stuffed bunnies. I took the stuffed bunny, put it on the wreath. Glue gun it to you know, put it on, hot glue it to the wreath with a bunch of like forsythias. Bingo. People love stuff like that. And I and that's what I'm doing. I'm taking things and putting things with other things. So now this Easter, I'm gonna do it again. So maybe I'll be I'll, maybe I'll be selling at March 16th at the Peddler's Market in Costa Mesa. I'll be there. Um maybe I'll maybe I'll do some Easter things, whatever, but 
I don't think there's any greater feeling than taking what you have and using it again. That's a good point. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And what would you say to people who are your age and feel that that they're done? They they couldn't really start like a new career. They couldn't do something because of their age or that they don't feel like society would welcome them. What would you say to that person or people that think like that? Okay. I always go back to something that I read a few years ago. And I thought, you know, that is so true. They said, the person or the, the way you looked when you were 25 you might have thought there were flaws or whatever, right? But then you think, okay, 10 years from now, when you look back at what you were, you know, it's like you never, if, don't be that person that never likes the person they are at the moment they are because 10 years from now, you are going to be wishing you had that. You know, so mm-hmm. don't keep wishing for something that you don't have. Enjoy what you've got when you have it. So I'm thinking to myself, you almost have to be yourself in 10 years and think back. What have I done in the last 10 years? How much time was that? Because when you get older, time is so important. It becomes this other person in the room. It's time and you're dealing with it and you're fighting it day in and day out. You have to look at it and you have to say, given this time, I shouldn't waste it. Now, if you're enjoying binge watching something, House of Cards or whatever on TV, good. But when you're doing it, you better damn well be enjoying it and not thinking about what you've got to do. And so what I'm finding, there is now going to be seasons for me. And January is my binge month. (laughs) I am binge watching everything I possibly can and enjoying it for the pleasure of that. My Christmas is still up. I haven't even taken it down yet. But I'm enjoying it because it's after the holiday. My kids are, and I can just enjoy that it's there. And it, it's going to be down, but I know that I did a good job putting it up and I want to enjoy it. But when you're, when you're thinking, okay, what am I going to do? You're not going to panic or you shouldn't panic about it. You should just methodically think what can I do with this day now either you can go for a walk you can begin a diet you can you know make a list of what you want to do I find making a list works sometimes and sometimes it doesn't it just boggles your mind it's just like it's like too much so that's why I said if you just feel like you just wanted I just binge watch the great British baking show and I, it was good. I watched all six seasons of it. I was like, you know, I'm going to bake something. I'm going to a party. And I'm going to bake something. It's like, but I mean, when you're doing something, just do it. But really think about the time that has gone by. It, 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 the construct of what time is, it's very hard to understand because even the year when it unfolds in front of you, when I think back to 2018 and all that happened to myself and our family, my mother being sick and then she passed away, it's so long ago, it seems. But it was only 10 months ago. Yeah. But if the way we've changed and grown and, and gotten into a different style of, of living with my dad living by himself now. And 
He's where I just talked to my sisters this morning and my dad's going to visit because he always said, you know, um, well, he couldn't visit with my mom the last few years, but he said, well, you know, after my mom passed, he goes, I'd like to visit you in the winter because it's so cold. And I said, well, please come. So he, he might be coming. And boy, is he a hoot to interview. He's 96. And that man does not understand time at all. He just goes and goes and goes. And time is, has no limit to him. In the last four years, while my, while my mother was sick, he wrote three books. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. But it's, I, what I hope that people get from this interview and is that it doesn't matter how old you are. Just follow your passion. Do things that you love. Don't ever feel like you can't do another career, even if you've done a career for 30 years. Why not start something new? Why not go back to college? Why not help people? I mean, they're just, it isn't, it isn't, it's a frame of mind, obviously. Well, let me put it this way. If you have your health, right, that has a lot to do with it. Absolutely. Because I, I, I saw my father and his friends and the, and the way it went with them. And unfortunately, his friends... Um, didn't take care of, of of their bodies the way my dad. My, my dad never drank or ate a lot of sugar or salt or anything. And you know, knock on wood, he's ninety six and he's in pretty good health. But if you do have your health and and you and you have that blessing, then you can proceed. Mm-hmm. Like you have a while to to worry about it. The thing about when you're thinking about what you want to do is, I think our problem is. We are confining it to a limited time, Mm -hmm. and we shouldn't. And that's what I'm fighting right now is because I'm thinking, I have so much time. I I, I can't look like it's five years to do this or 10 years or no one's going to accept me doing this. No. You have to think when you're doing something, you're doing it for the sheer pleasure of doing it, no matter how much time you have doing it. Mm -hmm. And I think to myself, if I wanted to do something where I wanted to help you clean out whatever, like I did with my daycare kids, you had one kid at a time. You only could have 12 kids at your house at a time. It wasn't like infinite number of kids. So that's how you'd have to be with this. If I did it, I'd do it once. If I liked it, I could continue. If I don't like it and I don't, then I don't. But I thought, but if you don't do it at all. Yeah, why not try? Try because they go... If you don't try it all, then you, isn't that failing? You didn't do it. You failed. It's to not t- a fun feeling. I feel like when you think about doing something for say years and you never do it. Yeah, you're like you don't feel happy about yourself. You're like, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I just take the step to do that? Exactly. And, and it's not that it's not that much of a stretch when you think about yeah. it. But it's just it's like you're going over an abyss. Yeah. Like you're going to go into this thing and. and no, it's not. You don't like, have to be a, committed to it forever. No. If it's not the right thing, then you make another choice. Or exactly. you learn as you go and it evolves. Yeah, people. Yeah. And actually, um, to anyone who's actually listening out there, um, this is what I've been doing is that I've been saying to myself, look at the people who've actually made it in the world. And a lot of them only started... After they retired, Grandma Moses started painting when she was 65. No one knew who she was, but she left a legacy of great paintings, Americana. Uh, Julia Child only started cooking when she was like 55. And look what legend she, like, if she thought, oh, I'm 55, 
uh, I can't do this. Which, and she ended up having a baking show, cookbooks with her name on all over the place, and legends of um, chefs that became chefs because of her. Yeah. And what if she thought, I'm 55, this is stupid, I'm not going to do this. No. And I don't think she even cooked before that. Right. She, she had a You're full-time right. job before her, that. Her she went, she really, went to cook. Her yeah. story is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm trying to other people that like. But I thought, you know what? It's true. A lot of people didn't start doing their thing they're known for mm-hmm. until they were older. Mm-hmm. In their 60s. Or maybe later. So I thought, yeah, that's true. You just got to keep going. So I'm probably going to do something like that um, where I'm going to get into some little business of doing it because I'm good at organizing junk, we'll say. <laughs> but um, I think I actually think that's a good market because I can think about like my mom's house, how much stuff she has in there and I don't want to deal with it. I would love for someone to come in there and actually what I think maybe evolve more than what you're saying. And they come in and say, yes, this is worth this much. This is worth yeah. this much. This is that's what you what need I could to do. This is, you can sell this. This is how you sell this. I'm glad you said that, Lainey, because I I acquired something learning through the um, peddler's market and seeing the the different things, antiques or junk or whatever you want to call it, retro, vintage, or whatever you want to call it. Um, You're right. I have a good eye for seeing what's good and what can be used again and what's actually junk. Now, they'll say, what is your background? How can you help me? I mean, what kind of proof do I have that you can do this? Well, I cleaned out my parents' attic. True story. I'll try to do it as fast as possible. When I got married, I had a beautiful wedding gown, a beautiful veil, and I spent $1,200 on the dress, $400 on a veil. On my, about my eighth anniversary, been married eight years, went home with a three-year-old, and a five-year-old. First time I was going home and I didn't have to change diapers. <laughs> and actually could think about being in my house, not changing diapers. The kids were older. I said to my mom, could I show my wedding dress to my daughter? What wedding dress? I thought the wedding dress I left here. I mean, I moved, but I left my wedding dress here. It's not at my house. I don't have it. It's got to be here. Mom goes, no. The, when the movers came and took your stuff, when you moved to California... They took the wedding dress with them. My daughter, my sister said, I remember it was in a white plastic bag on the bed. I go, kick in the stomach, heart yeah. sick. I go, are you serious? I don't have it. So for 35 years, well, not 35, minus eight. What was that? 27 years. I didn't know that my wedding dress was not in my house or anywhere. A friend of my husband's was a mover. He moved my stuff for me. He was a truck driver, went across. We had found out that a few months after he had moved me, he got married. So everybody's going, did he take your wedding dress and give it to his bride? I go, what? I, my, my husband was like, I'm not even going to go there. I don't think that's possible. Whatever. So where was my wedding dress? And I got teased. Every time someone got married, my sister would be like, too bad you lost your wedding dress. Oh, sorry. <laughs> You're just like sisters will do. I was like. Oh, come on. This has to be here, right? So my parents' attic was a complete and utter 
right from the step that you got up to the top of the step, it was utter chaos and bed bedlam, cardboard boxes and uh, like rubber tubs and books galore and junk galore and holiday stuff galore. And I don't know why my mother bought lamps and lamp bases and lampshades, but they had like 12 up there. Anyways, when I got to the first trip to my parents' house in uh, March of 2017, I got to the house. I see my mother sitting at the kitchen table. My father's laid out on the couch in the den. Not moving. I go, Dad, what's wrong? I go, he goes, I don't feel good. I really don't feel good. I have a chest. That's what I'm my chest hurts and all this. And I go, all right, well, well, I'm here now, so I'll take care of Mommy. You you rest. The next morning, he wakes up. He goes, I got to go to the doctor's. I don't feel good. You take care of Mommy, and, and I'll go to the doctor's. He drove himself to the doctor's. And we get a call from the doctor. I'm putting your father in the hospital. Oh, wow. I go, what? He's, he's got... Um, Pneumonia? Not pneumonia. What's the other thing? Um, bronchitis. Oh, okay. Acute bronchitis he had. And it was so bad, and uh, they said he could have died. Oh, my. It was so bad. He was in the hospital for five days. Now, I got to tell you one little detail about in the fall of 2016, I was home for a few weeks. Remember, that's when I lost mm-hmm. my job because I was gone for a month. And my two sisters and I, we went up to the attic. And we said, can we even clear a place out to see step in this attic, you know? So we did a little bit. But my father was a pack rat extraordinaire and was like, do not throw anything down here. I want, you can like take a few boxes, but do not throw stuff down. But we did a few things. He got mad about it. He goes, don't touch anything up there. So we muddled around, pushed things away, made a little space. We said, all right, we're not doing anything. We're done. So now it's March. My father's in hospital for five days. I go, hello. Free fall. Because my mom was out of it. She didn't know. She sat in the room downstairs. I, I fed her things to look at. She goes, this is my mother's. This is my, this is my, oh, I like this. So she was having fun. The brothers and sisters stayed away. They went to the hospital. I stayed home with my mother. And for five days, I had full access to the attic. I could clean. I could do whatever. So I threw stuff down. And believe me, there were blankets with holes in them. There were boxes that broke in your hand. They had been up in the attic for 60 years. Yeah. It was bad. Very bad. So he's gone for five days. I'm like, someone said, oh, he's never going to know. And I was very careful. Heirlooms stayed up there. Heirlooms stayed up there. But, um... Blankets with holes, things like that. They got thrown out in the trash before my father got home. The trash man comes on Sunday. I mean, on Monday morning. So Sunday night had all the stuff. And so he didn't know anything about it. So it was good. We cleaned it out a lot. And, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, darn, i got to find that wedding if it's up there. I'm going to know. It's, I've got to know if it's up here or not. And then I'll be make my peace with it. So I plugged along. And I told my sisters like, and my brothers, I'm cleaning the attic. If you guys want to help me, come on, help me. I'm here. I'm cleaning the attic whenever I get a chance in between watching mommy and I'm cleaning. So they were like, oh, you know, whatever. Have fun with that. You know, no one helped me. No one lifted a finger. My sister said one thing to me. 
if you have to bring dirty stuff down from the attic, can you put in the basement? The basement was two floors down. Oh, my goodness. I lost five pounds on that vacation. Wow. So did you find your dress? I did. Yay. <laughs> I found it on um, Good Friday uh-huh. before Easter. And I cried. That's sweet. I cried. It was in a box, the furthest in the rafters possible. In my father's handwriting, it said gowns. <laughs> and my sister was wrong. It wasn't in a white plastic bag. So mm. it was in a I picked up the first box. It was three boxes. It said gowns. And I picked up one of them was the dress that my sister wore to my wedding. And I went, oh, my gosh. I, w- I almost was afraid to look. And the next box was my veil. And the next box was my gown. And I just cried. I just sat there and bawled. I cried. Yeah. So were you able to sell anything or find things that were worth a lot of money up there? Okay. So my silly siblings were like, we're not having a garage sale. I could have had the greatest garage sale. We don't want people to know that old people live in this house. And we don't want to draw attention to it. So I said, you can't do a garage sale. And... uh, I said, okay, well, we're not throwing all this stuff out. I'm donating it to the church. The church had a big drop box. So I, all the good blankets, all the good pillowcases, all the good things I gave away, mm-hmm. all the holy blankets I threw out, and all the heirlooms are still up there. Um, all the old rickety boxes I threw down and broke up. And uh, it was weird because... The attic, cleaning that, to me, was like... Cathartic? Yes. It gave me so much strength. And, of course, it made me realize one thing, that my mother threw out all of our possessions. My my mother was a minimalist to the ninth degree, and my father was a pack rat to the... So, I guess you can't get two pack rats living together, right? And you can't... If you have two minimalists, like... I mean, my mother didn't put a Christmas tree up till Christmas Eve, and she kept up to Epiphany. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like January 6th. It was weird, but cleaning that attic gave me, like, power. It really did. I thought, if I could clean this, mm-hmm. then I can help other people and I can clean my house. But, you know, it, it's a different kind of thing because I am a pack rat like my father. I'll admit it. You know, that's the first step to actually saving yourself or um, mm-hmm. helping you. So... My mom was a minimalist, and she I, she made me into a, a pack rat because I realized, I got where's all this? While we were in college, she threw everything out. Oh, Every wow. dress I made in high school, that I, I couldn't show a dress to my oh. but she threw it all out. She, like, got rid of it all, gave it all away to charity or whatever. All her toys. I'm still crying about my blue beer. That's it was a little beer that had a little pop belly made out of rubber. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still sad about that. I have one teddy bear that I took with me when I moved. His name is Pouty. <laughs> he has a little pouty face and it's a little rubber face bear. I still have him. But um all our Barbie dolls gone. We had the But it is one. a nice it's nice as a parent because you do have to do that and you have to clear out stuff and you have to make choices to donate. And it's it's kinda you know what it, it feels good though when you go through your house and you get rid of all that clutter or extra things. Mm-hmm. It's a it's and it is cathartic and it does make you feel better. 
So, and yeah. it's good to donate it. So I'm going to end. I want to ask you a question that I like to ask people. And it is, um, what do you think humanity needs to work on to make our world a better place? Great question. <laughs> okay. So I really think that a utopian world would be one where, um, I mean, I know we need to have sexes, you know, male and female for the human race to continue, of course. But I'd like to see it be more like gender neutral as far as I don't want to take away any man's masculinity or any female's femininity if they want it to be that way, whatever. I know there's a controversy now about male masculinity after the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a shame because, you know, our world, we, we, we couldn't evolve or go on if we didn't have male and female. I mean, we just need it. That's how our world goes on. And God made it that way. For a reason. Mm-hmm. If none of us wanted to have to do anything with the other person, we, our, we would have gone into extinction a long time ago. <laughs> so we need to procreate. We need to have that attraction. Mm-hmm. But what I'd like to see more is more male and female friendships. Mm-hmm. Just for the sake of being a friend with a male, if I'm a female. And not for any sexual purpose, but just to have a friend. And just not think it's weird or that it has to be something more Mm -hmm. that you can just be a friend. So I think that's really important for the world to be changing. And I think in this world where everything is so political that um, I guess you need the yin and the yang or maybe nothing would get done. I don't know. But I think that people need to understand that when they're fighting and doing their little political thing, nothing for humanity's sake or for the common good is getting done. Let's face it. And to do that, people have to put their differences aside and their their feeling that somebody's lording over me because if they keep doing that, the real people that get hurt are like the defenseless people, like the homeless and if if we have a government, it's supposed to help everybody. And government is there to protect people. And a lot of people are falling by the wayside because people are playing politics in Washington. And there's a lot of things that can be done with the zillions of dollars they spend on winning a race. I mean, it makes me sick to my stomach when I think about it. Mm-hmm. That they quibble over... Thousands of dollars maybe to do a a homeless something or other, shelter or something. But they'll spend $60 million on a campaign. To me, that is just disgusting and so uncalled for. That has to change. Yeah, because alone you're you're basically saying only if you can raise money and only if you're very wealthy – you have more of a chance of being a leader, which it shouldn't be like but, that either. But I mean, what's this thing about the power? Right. This power struggle. Nobody wins. I mean, seriously, you know, it, it's not really, it shouldn't be about who's got the most power. What about the people that use that power to do good? I'm not seeing a lot of that right now. And that's bad mm-hmm. for our whole government and the world, you know. 
people that are out there struggling and um, in protest, you know, there's a lot of things they can do to help their fellow man if they weren't struggling so much for power mm-hmm. to, to hold it over somebody. It's, it's just ridiculous. And that has to change. But honestly, though, I think if we were as, um, like I said, like more gender neutral as far as that people can be friends for the sake of being friends. And it's not, you know, I, I love when I see like young groups of kids, girls and boys that can get along for the sake of just hanging out together and being friends. And it's not a romantic or anything like that. It's just that they're friends. And I don't think our generation had that a lot. No. We didn't have it much at all. Mm-mm. And when you when you try to do that, I mean, it's always that sexual thing gets in the way. It's just, that's crazy. Because, yeah, I can think back to on a lot of guys that I would have wanted to be friends with, but it couldn't happen because it was construed as you know, that you had to do something sexual or, or uh, that connotation to it. When you just wanted to have them because they were an interesting person just to be friends with mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. So I, I wish we had that in our generation. I think my, my, our, like our kids could have that maybe, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, but not us. We couldn't have that. Yeah. So that's hopefully things will evolve for the better. And that's what we can put out there and, and hope for. Lonely Doll by Dear Wright. I read it when I was in elementary school at Bursey School in Stratford. And it's a picture book about a doll who gets to be loved by a big teddy bear and a little teddy bear. And it's photographed with like the bear and the doll, like real pictures mm-hmm. of these little that, that was posed and, and photographed. My favorite book. It has a pink gingham cover. And my son found a copy for me on um, uh, Craigslist or eBay at Christmas one year. And that's so that's sweet. Like, yeah, it's so sweet. I love that book. I just looked at it the other day. In fact, it's a very sweet story. And my favorite song is by, I think one of my favorite songs is by Coldplay in, oh, I can't remember the Viva, Viva La Vida. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite so. song. And then the other thing was... Um, Songbook and what was it? Quote. Oh, I think one of my favorite quotes is by oh Marilyn Monroe, but I never get it right. It, it, the essence of it is, I would rather be thought of as being crazy than um, being boring. Oh, no, so it's not like perfect is boring. I'd rather be known as being like, crazy because it's more interesting so i can't get the exact quote but i love that and i i love quotes in general i yeah. love quotes and they give me a lot of strength from quotes mm-hmm. yeah, they they have a lot of good lessons in them i agree yeah all right well thank you Janine, oh, for sharing welcome. about yourself you're welcome um maybe someday if my dad visits me you can put him on a pod because he's a hoot and a half oh yeah he's 96 going on 16 yeah, when he, when he comes in, into town, I would love to interview him. Okay. Because I, I think people need to hear how you're still functioning when you're older and life doesn't end, you know? Yeah, and I could actually see he went through different stages in his 30 years of retirement. Oh. There were stages. Yeah. 
And I think I'd like to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't all selfish. It was years of, of watching old relatives and helping them until they passed away. Mm-hmm. Years of being in a choir and singing. He took, he took those years, um, when he didn't have to work to do the things he loved to do, woodworking, singing, writing, and trying to save the world. That's mm-hmm. what he's been trying That's to do. So pretty. And, and helping his helping his kids with their with their children, his grandchildren. So, so nice. Yeah. Yeah. You, I think you you live longer the more involved you are with your life with life and what's you know, family, life, work, things, passions. Because I if you're just sitting at home staring at the TV, I just you're not gonna be happy. And you're but you can't you're not do it in January and be a binge watcher in January. <laughs> no. Well, there, there's times for that, but it's like <laughs> if that's all you're doing after yeah. you retire, yeah. What's fun in that? No, 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 no. I really, if if you don't use it, you do lose it. Mm-hmm. I really believe that. Thank you. Otherwise, we'll be here yeah. talking forever. Yeah. And maybe once I start my business, I can come back and talk about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. whatever I decide to do. 